Megan's had a hell of a time sourcing mega cans east of the river. Restauranteur Basti Knight has been indisposed by a chicken incident, but it'll all be worth it, because Conrad has failed Nazi terrorists to talk about, special guest Veronica Nad has a German museum to rant about, and we have live music all the way from New Zealand with Eden Ottingen. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's time for a live episode of Megan's Megacan. This is so lovely. I know a few of you. I don't know everybody, but this is very exciting. For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Megan. We have a few people up with us. We have my lovely co-host, Conrad Werner. Hello. Hello, Conrad. We it's all very different now, isn't it? It's very different. It's kind of... There's more people. We're not editing it. We've got music. What are we going to do? I know. I can't text you later in a sort of like when yeah. I'm sewed up a bit and go, can you take out that bit? Yeah, I, <laughs> I just talk about absolute shit for 20 minutes. <laughs> but yes, we have uh, Eden who has been doing our music and did a fantastic job. I want you to follow me around everywhere. I should do that. Just, I could get paid to walk around on people's days and just uh, follow them with music behind them. Eden, why are you here? Can we? Uh, That's a very good question. <laughs> Maybe we could tell the story about why, uh, how we met Eden. It's a good meet cute. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, so Megan's Mega Can was basically my uh, medicine for the last two years because I arrived into this country sort of a, a year before the big illness, and uh, I decided to take a year off before I got back into music. And lo and behold, the month I decided to get back into it was March 2020. <laughs> and so I became a gardener. And uh, whilst I was pulling the weeds and eating the worms, I was listening to Mega Can. And, and uh, yes, it, it got me through the dark days. And then they were putting out a, a call for help for the podcast. I went, I can't afford to give them any money on Patreon, but I can do something else. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. We're very this pleased. That's horrible. We also have sitting with us lovely Veronica, who we're going to talk to in depth later. Veronica is anthropologist and political campaigner who works for forensic architecture. That is very correct, yes. I'm very excited to hear what you're going to talk to us about in a bit. Thank you for having me again. Can we have a drink now? Oh, oh. Jesus Christ, yes. <laughs> right. Okay, I can do this. All right. Is anyone not familiar with the term mega can. Oh, hello, hello, right. So we can also talk a little bit, while I'm doing this and finding this, you could talk a little bit about how this show came to be. Okay, so we started this in 2018. We were um, sitting in a bio-canal, <laughs> rather the worst for wear, and uh, we hadn't really met each other before. And so we started talking, me and Megan, because I didn't have anything else to talk about. I just started talking about my job and about the news. And, and Megan wanted to hear more about the news. 
So, and I thought you'd forgotten about it the next day, but then you actually texted the next day and said, let's do a podcast. Yeah, I think, I don't so, know if my idea was podcast. My idea was to come to your house with oh, two yeah. mega cans and you tell me about the news because I yeah. was too lazy to listen to it in German. <laughs> and, then, and I realised that I didn't have anything, like any knowledge at all of German politics. You know, this is how I hang out with you too, basically, right? Yeah. When we meet at the <laughs> restaurant and you tell, tell me, me about things. the news. Yeah. yeah, explain the news. Uh, so at some point we decided to record this and um, and now we've been doing it for the four years, nearly exactly now, four years. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. And, so we started um, on Hannah's birthday. That yeah, was, that's that Hannah was the party we were at. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Hannah. Um, uh, so these are mega cans. Chilled. Yeah, they are chilled with cold compresses I bought for my wisdom teeth. Does this need backing music? Yeah, yeah probably. Definitely. Right. Do you want to choose your one? <laughs> Oh, that's a classic, right? That is the classic. Jack the OG. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have to open it together, I suppose? Yeah, you have to. Oh, no. I'll have this one. Ginger. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I've got a Jim Beam uh, and cola. And yeah, so I think the the reason why we keep doing it is because they uh the alcohol really helps with the sort of cushioning the news, the way that the you know, like like there are a lot of there are a lot of laugh, news podcasts but, out there, but uh, they seem to sort of get through it sober and just talk. And, and I, don't, I don't know how anyone really um, like en- enjoys that. I don't think like, enjoys just talking about the news. So, <laughs> so we do it with uh, uh, with with, with the, uh, the can, uh, and it and it really helps. We found it really does. I find getting my news delivered to you in the like warm glow. Yeah. Of a mega can and with your like sort of calm delivery. It's really the yeah. only way I can do it. Okay. Uh, would anyone like one? We have a few yeah. more. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I'm a journalist, and <laughs> and I talk about most weeks. I just talk about what I've been writing about that week. Uh, anyway, should we start drinking first? Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, what a sound! Uh, every how can I not be good at the bear at this? <laughs> Uh, that's absolutely delicious. Wow. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever just writing an essay, and I'm a teacher. That's and my name is Megan. I'm an English teacher here, a secondary school English teacher. And the two things I know how to do are write an essay and make a gin and tonic. But I feel like these make that almost absolute. There's no point anymore. They're so delicious. Do you get high from the sugar first yeah. or the alcohol? We don't know, but it is that potent combination. If anyone's wondering what makes it a mega can, because they're not big cans, they're normal size cans, as you can see. Even the really fancy Marks and Spencers one are still only like 8%. Like, what's the point? You're going to want to deal with Brexit and an 8% make it? Nah. <laughs> um, now I've got some booze, we could have some news. Yeah. Can we have a new sting, please, Eden? I'm trying to do it like the DW.
Brilliant. That's that was fantastic. It was a bit of a rush last night, sorry. No, it was, uh, was marvellous. I feel like I'm on a real news show. Yeah, so. I mean, in a anyway. way, we are. <laughs> in a way, we are. I'm not just dreaming. Yeah, so one of the things I've kind of started specialising in, I don't know why, but is, is going to Frankfurt and reporting on Nazi trials, because there are always Nazi trials in Germany. And uh, always in Frankfurt for some reason, or quite a lot of them in Frankfurt. And there was one finished yesterday, which was the trial of Franco R. Do you remember Franco R? <sighs> There's a constant thing of me remembering some like white boy name followed by an initial and what awful stuff he's done. Yes. Was this the one that there's another really good podcast about <laughs> by the New York Times called Day X? Yeah. So he in- impersonated a sort of... Syrian refugee, am yeah. I correct? And they think he was planning to do stuff. Yeah, originally they thought that he was planning to he was he, the, planning to carry out a terrorist attack while posing as a refugee, uh, and so therefore doing it as like a false flag type thing. And he was really like really he's really Nazi and anti-Semitic and um, uh, all the rest of it, globalist, all the, everything you can imagine. He is he, what you would expect from a far right terrorist. He sort of is. But now the prosecution yesterday kind of. They didn't really try and prove the false flag part of it. So they, they that was what they originally suspected. But they sort of said, well, it's, we don't really know if he was um, posing as a refugee in order to carry out an attack and to do this kind of, uh, and to, to lay the blame along uh, on the migrant community. Um, but he, he just did it anyway. And, um, and they didn't need to prove that. And he got five and a half years in prison. What did he do? Something with a gun? In an airport? Yeah. Eden knows what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Didn't he he hide it and then sort of go, oh, yeah, but I was running late for a plane, so I just sort of popped it up above the system? Yeah, that was pretty much... Exactly, yeah. He, uh, he was at Vienna Airport. Um, this is how they caught him. He, uh, they, uh, a cleaner at Vienna Airport found a handgun in a toilet. And the, she told the police, and the police said, left it there and just waited to see who would pick it up. And then he went, came and picked it up. Obviously, he was arrested, and they were like, well, you know, why have you got a gun hidden in an airport toilet? And he said, well, I was having a wee in the bushes outside the airport and I found it and then I and then I and then I panicked and hid it in the toilet. <laughs> For example, yeah, yeah. If you'd just gone to the toilet, <laughs> this would never have happened. Yeah. So that's what he said in court. He said that actually in court. That was his excuse. Uh, but anyway, well, then what happened is they, they took his fingerprints. This is all. This is like 2017. They took his fingerprints and found that he was actually registered as a refugee under the name David Benjamin. David Benjamin as a, a Syrian, and they thought, well, that's strange because we know he's not a Syrian refugee because uh. he's a he's a he's a Bundeswehr officer. I didn't mention that. He's actually in the military as an officer. (laughs) Maybe it went without saying. (laughs) And yeah, and so that was like very odd. And they and but the Austrian police let him go, and they said, "Okay, off you go." And um, the German police started an undercover investigation. They kind of started spying on all his communications and everything. What they do, collected about thirty thousand text messages, voicemails, all this other stuff, and um, decided that he was yeah planning a terrorist attack. He'd acquired uh, guns illegally, including assault rifles, So uh, some of which he'd stolen from his work, from the Bundeswehr, uh, explosives, ammunition, everything. Just to hunt pigs though, right? 
yeah. <laughs> but, he yeah, panicked. But, uh, <laughs> but weirdly, the courts, because he hadn't actually done anything. They also, they, oh yeah, and the other thing is, the, you know, the um, An- Amadeo Antonio Stiftung. Mm-hmm. It's the anti, it's a big anti-racism campaign group. It's quite established NGO. He they he took photos of the cars in their car park. So, so and and one of the, and they had a list, and on his list was also the head of the um, the Antonio Amadeo Stiftung. So it was sort of like you know seemed quite clear that he was possibly going to attack that. But anyway, the German authorities arrested him and then a court decided that he should be let go. They said, well, you don't, we don't, we can't really prove what he was intending to do, which is like obviously very much undermined the prosecution's case because they were like, that was what, you know, until this February, the police were like obviously following him. They picked him up in Frankfurt train station with a carrier bag full of Nazi like armbands, like he was like a like actually armbands and medals, like Nazi proper Nazi era swastika armbands and everything. This was after the first arrest. Yeah, yeah, this is like this year. This is he's already he's already on trial now. He's already on trial, but he was free during his trial. I could imagine with this amount of evidence he had a lot of amnesia in the uh, <laughs> in the trial. So yeah, so and then and only then did the court say, okay, you've got to go to prison now because you're clearly a Nazi. And also the police searched his home again and found 20-something mobile phones, which is not a bit weird. But a, he had a gun in an airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even bring a fucking bottle of water. Yeah. <laughs> I have to drink it like... Little in a mega cake. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah, okay. and they had 30,000 text messages, which were full of like Nazi conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah. And wasn't he already flagged within the Bundeswehr so whatever kind of he had to do something for them as part of his training there and he went on this kind of like huge right wing rant and they were like, well, he's a promising young man. His ideas, he's young. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He had a a massive master's thesis. Was uh, the, was included a lot of stuff about you know this great replacement theory, no. the race, the about how the white race is being like erased by uh, refugees and everything. So that was in his master's thesis. That was in 2014. That was even earlier. There, and no one was informed. Like the Bundeswehr, was like, well, can you just hand in another thesis? And that's what they said. That's, that's literally what they did. They, they said, I mean, in Germany, so they're like, yeah. if you hand in someone else's, who knows where you can end yeah. up? And um, so this case in general brought a lot of attention to the um, to you know how the military does things and also how the immigration service does things because he said he he said it was really easy to dupe the immigration service. He just he just coloured his beard. He he put like shoe polish in his beard. Pretended. He could only speak French. That's the other thing. He couldn't hardly speak any Arabic. And so he, he just went in and said, I'm a French-speaking uh, Syrian. I'm Christian. Um, and uh, he, like, he was like disheveled. I've lost my passport. And they let him in and they gave him state benefits and everything. What did, so, why did he say that uh, he was doing all this? Under, oh, was, he was saying for the, for the Bundeswehr. Uh, no, he was, he, he was researching the uh, immigration system and trying to find weak points. That's yeah. why he said what he was doing that for. Um, anyway, so his trial finished yesterday and he got five and a half years in prison. Uh, and so this was for the gun or just generally being a... Being a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> and like what, what was the sort of reaction to the five and a half years? Well, it was less than the prosecution asked for. Um, the, the prosecution only asked for six and a bit years. And the prosecution said they were satisfied with, the, with that result. And they said that, you know, he'd, um, uh, they, they, this is sort of what we were expecting because they were glad because after the 
earlier the first courts ruling that he had, wasn't even planning something, they were glad to get a trial at all. So they were glad to get any kind of conviction at all. But he, the the defense said he could only be convicted of possessing, you know, illegally possessing weapons, which he admitted to, and fraud, which is you know pretending to be a refugee, which he was also convicted of. But um, the defense are appealing. He's appealing against it. Yeah, I Sorry. just have a question. No, it's okay. I'm just, like, I was just wondering, does the verdict include him being... Like, is he allowed to be in the Bundeswehr after he served his sentence? Is he expelled? Uh, well, they haven't, he's not been expelled yet. <laughs> I'm We're sorry, not. what? Well, he's still got a hand in his master's thesis. <laughs> <laughs> he's got uh, the extension. He's been, um, well, he's been suspended from service, but he's not been thrown out of the army. Of course uh, not. He's not. He's not allowed to wear his uniform. Well, he can't wear his uniform because he's in prison. But, I mean, he's not allowed to wear his uniform. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah, so he's um, uh, he's just in prison now. And, uh, no, but the, the, the military said they they have their own procedure to go through and they will decide in their own good time <laughs> whether to expel him from the army or not. That's sort of the upshot of it. Yeah. I don't think I understand how the world works sometimes. So no, that's just Germany. Yeah. But how can you? <laughs> oh God. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. So, so that's he's that. gone away for five and a half years, unless he appeals and wins. Yeah. Which we're not going to think about. You can see why we drink, <laughs> because this is kind of like a running one of the running themes on the podcast is Germany not perhaps doing the best job of dealing with with the sort of rise of the far right. Oh, you got. It's supposed to be at the end of the news flash. Oh, okay. Well, it was, it was worth it now. I mean, it really, it really added something then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like really Great mood. Did anything else happen while I was on holiday? Well, talking about uh, Germany failing at stuff, there was the the Elster, <laughs> the, 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 the 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 tax thing. Did you hear about the tax thing, Elster? No. There's this there's a way that people like me who are freelance who have to hand in taxes through this system called Elster. Okay. Kind of Any other freelancers system. here? And uh, <laughs> it, it crashed this week, and um, and they, and and it kind of and they figured out that the uh, system is not built for that many uh, tax submissions. Mm-hmm. Not very, it's not a very exciting story. I don't know why I brought it up, but it's kind of, <laughs> it was kind of like as he said, Germany failing and stuff because that was a big thing about Germany's doing this big digitalization drive, and they can't uh. even set up a system that will get everything in. It was a big story this week amongst German people. Well, it's not going digital. <laughs> that's not working. So we'll go back to everyone submitting 497 forms. I thought yeah, moving to Australia, the, the bureaucracy and paperwork was bad. I was like, holy shit, this is insane. And then I came to Germany and realised I had no idea what I was talking about because there's paperwork for paperwork and it's just... Should we have another news, oh, news stab? We're going to try again. Yeah. So I've got, I'll do some other news. So another bit of news is that um, Germany has returned over a thousand bronze and brass 
objects to Nigeria called the Neninin, uh, sorry, the Benin bronzes. Okay. And uh, this is a this is a big thing a couple of weeks ago. This is also the reason why we have uh, Veronica here, who is going to talk about German colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so we well we kind of started about because the reason why we got we had Veronica on before, and we kind of had to. We went to the Humboldt Forum together, which is a very controversial building, and we had a whole podcast about the Humboldt Forum. Yes. Have you been there yet? No. <laughs> I was really hoping no one was going to ask me that. This is about the third time I've talked about this without actually having been there. I walked past it. So everyone, who else has been to the Humboldt Forum since it reopened? Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, just to give, like, it's this huge building in the centre of Berlin, which is like reopened after a huge remodel. They knocked it down and then there was something else there during the GDR, which was then knocked down. And then they built literally what they had before in the is it 18th century or 19th century? It used to be the, so it used to be the imperial castle, right? Which is what they reconstructed now. But during the German partition, you had the Palazzo Republic in that place, which was kind of, I think it wasn't it, the parliament building as well, but then also kind of open space for the public with bowling alleys and whatnot. So, yeah. And it was um, very much a loved building in East Germany, I believe. Assembly. Could we not have that back? I mean, maybe minus the asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, right. I think there, but that's, I think, what the argument that Ryan made too, right? That, and on the previous podcast, that. It's it's a bit of a pity that they tore down that building. And uh, like, if you ask me, as one of the abominations of this whole reconstruction thing, because it's like for me, essentially symbolizes the colonialism of Western Germany over Eastern Germany, and just kind of uh. eradicating that part of Berlin and German history in the city center, and yeah. instead reconstructing imperialist symbols so because they put it all back they put like a little dome and a cross they put, on top of it yeah, yeah and the bible verse which says something about like the world kneeling before mm -hmm. jesus or whatever so you love it i Ronica. love it so much <laughs> i want to throw up every time i walk past it like if, it's funny because like i for many years i just ignored that this is happening and then because i also wasn't in berlin over you know many of these years and eventually i just went back and realized fuck they're really doing this and this is this is yeah what we're putting in the city center what we're going to commemorate over the next 50 60 years or whatever until someone decides to maybe Knock it down again. Yeah, or, or like, <laughs> I mean, I keep hoping that someone just sets the building ablaze at night, right? Like that, but I mean. <laughs> what? So what? What is in it? So we've seen the outside. It's this sort of like quasi reconstruction, but also like a modern bit with the. It looks super weird. Mm -hmm. What's inside? I haven't been. Inside is uh, the anthropological collection of the German. What is it? Staatliche Museen zu Berlin or something, which used to be in Zehlendorf in a smaller place um, and then it was closed about 10 years ago and then they just eventually moved the whole collection into the new building and the idea behind that was to kind of unify all of German cultural uh, collections in, in to the museum's Zinsel, right? So, and, but um, I don't know whose idea it was to collect stolen colonial arts 
in the re reconstruction of the imperialist palace. I, I just don't, I like, who came up? Because I, I, that is what's essentially happened. This is a sort of question, like, how does this happen? Well, I mean, I think... Okay, so like if I remember my own family, you know, my grandmother who grew up in Berlin, I think the fact that the the Berlin Schloss, the, the castle had been burned down and replaced by this, what West Berliners usually consider an ab abomination, so the, the Palazzo Republic, that's always been kind of... I think there's a scar there, right? So there's a lot of people from that generation who felt like, no, we need to correct that that hole in this ensemble of, of Schinke art or whatever. And it makes sense to also bring the Anthropological Museum into the city center because it was really far off and sand off, right? But it, it's just an odd link to make. And the main thing that annoys me about the museum is that if you're already making that link, do that in a reflected way and work out German colonial history. And, and, and But right now, that's not really what's happening right now. It's just kind of a very Eurocentric collection and... Uh, I was just going to say, like, in what way is it, how have they missed that opportunity as you've seen it? Walk uh. me through. Imagine, <laughs> yeah. imagine okay. someone who's so now talking on a podcast for the third time about somewhere she's never been. What would she see, <laughs> this hypothetical person? Well, so, for example, like, one of the things that I, I thought was really striking is that, and, and I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but when we went to the museum, I, like, we stood in front of this huge, these huge cases of fetishes and, and masks and like all these kind of obscure looking objects that are essentially not really labeled and it's just stuff that people bought or stole on different kinds of imperialist expeditions right and brought to Berlin and the main reference that is being made is who picked it up on which expedition it doesn't like sometimes it says from which region but it doesn't really go into any kind of purpose or like why are the what do these objects signify probably because they don't know right so and it would be i mean i thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation about okay so what are these kind of objects or what do we understand them as uh, are we okay with them being there randomly and it's also funny because they're like in this obscure dark vitrine sorts of, mm. and and you you like it still has the connotation of us and the other it's not really like there is no dialogue in this actually cultural objects from contexts that may be strange to us but have you know a logic and other just like look at this big box of foreign stuff yeah Exactly. This, this is what I feel like. Big box so, of foreign stuff. Ooh, so, how exotic. Yeah. So, the, so it's, there are three sections of the Ethnological Museum. There's the Africa section, the Asia section, and the Oceania section. And in the Oceania section, it's quite spectacular. It has big boats from the Polynesian islands, fishing boats and things like that, and canoes. And that's quite exciting, though, isn't it? When you see those big sh boats. Are they? Really? Like, this is... No, no I mean, they're... <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were just bought, no? I think. Oh, yeah. I, I think they were bought, and I mean, there's. Well, they weren't this, even stolen. They were just bought. Well, all of this stuff was kind of, you know, money. like Germany bought it? its colony in Namibia, but just faked the treaties. So, like, to find that as buying, I don't know. But um, 
I, I have to say, I don't, I've never really gotten into the history of these boats. There's Guts Ali who does a lot on that, and I think he's got strong opinions, but I, okay, I, um, Tanzania was Germany in German. So it must be some somewhere in Oceania as well. Yeah. Well, there's this whole, you know, what they call still today Bismarck archipelago. So that's, oh, God. There's back to geography. Yeah. Yeah. And so is there any attempt, considering this is 2022, in the middle of Berlin to kind of have this dialogue? You're hopeful. <laughs> well, that's I mean, are they giving things back? No, they're, they're giving things back. I mean, before that, and this is like, well, when the museum opened, I think in September, the first thing that opened was this exhibition, Berlin Global, which tried to kind of be mindful of the, the the controversies that the building and the and the collection caused, right? But it in my opinion just went halfway or like it, it, it couldn't like it was kind of caught in the middle and it, it just I don't I didn't find it but very what happens believable. in the Berlin Global uh, exhibition. It's a very interactive thing. I mean yeah. no it's no you are essentially are being invited to reflect on certain aspects of what it means to live in a globalized city such as Berlin and then then in the end I mean it walks you through different aspects of Berlin history of course or different episodes and then in the end uh, you you you're being um, kind of um, put into one of four categories according to the choices you made while you walked uh, walked your way through the exhibition and then you're being invited to have a conversation with other people. When I did it, there were like two other people, so there wasn't really a conversation happening. But yeah, but I think there you want to... There's a, there's, a, there's a good bit, right? There is, there is, <laughs> no, there is, no, I mean, there I isn't there. yet, but there might be, right? Well, what about the bit about Manga Bell? That is oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. So that, when I went in there, I thought uh, there, there was, so there's like a, you go in there and there's the whole bit about um, part of Cameroon mm. where the grandson, there's a video and the grandson of a, a, a sort of an African leader tells the story of his grandfather, Manga Bell, who was executed by the German Empire. But he had a very interesting story. I think he was called Rudolf because he, um, he, he traveled back to, so he was born in Cameroon and then he traveled to Germany and he was educated in Germany, which didn't happen at that time, but he was like a prince. So he was allowed, so he came and he was educated and then he went back to Cameroon and kind of became like a, a people's leader, you know, a leader for his people. And then the German empire was like, oh, well, don't know about this. And they killed him in 1905, I believe. And this whole story is kind of told in the, as part of the exhibition. And I thought, and I hadn't really heard that story because there's kind of part of the movement to rename the, 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 some of the streets in the, in the part of Berlin called the African Quarter, where all the streets are named after colonial people. There was like people a, one of them. African. But is there a street na named after him now? Well, they want no. to name a street they after him. They want to name a street after yeah. him. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, but this part, like, I, it was funny because when I walked through the exhibition, I mean, it's okay, I think, to talk about this. What I found interesting about this is that they're very much more critical of what happened to Mangabel in the ki kids section than in the grown-up section. In the grown-up section is like, well, you know, like he 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 was um, tried as a as a as a um, revoltier, no, someone who revolutionary. Kind of revolutionary, whatever. But there's not really a debate on the fact that, you know, he wasn't really tried. He was just killed. And, and like they, tr they also 
German authorities uh, claimed that he was conspiring with the British and the French. And I don't think that this ever happened. He just mainly had an issue with traditional housing being torn down, right? And the, the children's section talking about this case is much more critical of, of what happened and actually explicitly you know, denounces the unjust behavior and the and unjust treatment of, of this, this person, which I thought was, I didn't know why, whether it's like, it's, 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 maybe they just let someone write this and they didn't look at it. I was going to say, there's going to be like, know. yeah, we have those, those young people yeah. who write the stuff for the kids. They'll be fine. And you've got some like really radical people in there like, we can do this. <laughs> like, yeah. This is what yeah. it felt to me like. I That's kind of a like, cool idea. I don't know. But I mean, for for example, I'm I'm just going to do a little bit of advertisement now because I've like I've went to this uh, other exhibition. I've, I think I invited you to come to and in the Museum Tripto, which is called Zurückgeschaut, looking back on a sort of um, human exhibition that t- took place in Triptower Park in 1896, and uh, which is curated by Berlin Postkolonial and a couple of other groups. And it's just three rooms on the second floor of a townhouse, which is also, you know, the Trepto Bürger uh, or like... A, I don't know what I call it, Bürgeramt, whatever. And I thought the exhibition that they showed there, this is what I would like to see in Humboldt Forum on a larger scale, because this, for one, it's uh, it's accurate in terms of like, or it's very reflective of the role of colonialism and it treats the people that were being displayed on these on these human exhibitions as actual people and not mm. just victimized subjects of of a colonial empire and talks about all this it's funny because you know they came here some of them actually spoke accurate like really good german and read in the newspapers that there was stuff happening in their colony that they wanted to object to so they just uh, asked for an audience with the with the German emperor. And none of this is, you know, being talked about in the main anthropological museum. In That's really interesting. Nixon. So there's a good example of how this could be done. In Trepto, in three rooms. And it's like, it's, it's it, like I went and I thought, this is so depressing because this is the kind of reflective dialogue that you would like to see, especially if you're already like taking billions of private money and re-erect a building in the city center. And then you're just not you know, filling it with with a modern, adequate, timely museum. Want to go back on holiday? Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Oh, Germany. How's your mega? It's delicious. Mm. Thank you. You like yours, Eden. You've never had one before. You've never had one? No, I've had it. No, actually, I had my first one because of you guys. I think I was coming back from gardening and uh, (laughs) popped into the local Spätkauf, although actually I think it was a a Getränke Hoffmann. And I had this big glowing fridge. They've got and a good I, selection in there. Yeah, was, yeah. And I actually thought, because I didn't really know where the word mega can came from, I was part of my brain actually thought, well, you know, there's cider, beer, wine. I actually thought there would be a little label saying mega cans. <laughs> but uh, there wasn't, but I still knew it when I saw it. Yeah. I think it was a Bombay Sapphire. Oh, those are good ones. That's a good one yeah. to start with. It wasn't bad. This is very sweet. But I'm yeah. not really a bourbon and coke kind of no, fella. No, the first time I ever had one of those, it was in the queue for Bar 25 about 100 years ago, and I thought it was the what? most... Bar 25? Right. That's a... I don't know if I've been to that one. That's a, a 
a, a club of old and I thought it was the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> and it was like four in the morning queuing for this club. I couldn't even finish it. I like left it outside. But look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Who in the audience is drinking their megas and are they enjoying them? You're done. Well oh, done. Okay. And that's a rum one. There's a couple of shpettis across the road. We do want to run. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, sorry. This is the part of the show where I try and distract people by talking <laughs> about megas because I can't take any more mm. politics. Yes, but we have we have good news too. <gasps> Thank God. <laughs> Cheers to that. So Germany is making an effort to return some of these artifacts, including these Benin bronzes, which, as I said, is like over a thousand pieces of bronze and brass that were originally stolen by the British. I think is that right? Yeah, sure. And, and then bought and bought, and then right. bought from the by, by Felix von Lucerne. And this ceremonial oh, yeah. face masks or something. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of still sculptures and things, but there's a lot of things. Do you want to tell the story about Felix von? What's he called? Felix von Lucerne. No, L- not Luchan. really. I mean, we can. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No, no, I just, no, well, I read about him in, in, in the context of, of the Namibian genocide because somehow he w- w- kind of got involved there too. Because remember when they stole all these, all these uh, skulls from Namibia to Berlin to yeah. measure, uh, measure people's uh, heads, uh, they ended up on his desks. At least in part. So, like, I was just. What? what? Who's yeah, this because guy? you have like all these. He collected heads. He collected. He-, he collected everything. He went about. Who is this and- man? Felix. Felix von Luschan, yes. And when Who was bought- he? Is he not now? No, 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 no. Like he died in 1925, I think. This was the beginning of when they were sort of going measuring heads because they did the same in New Zealand and Australia. And they go, they were trying to find a way to prove that the whites were a, a, a far more evolved or something because they were trying to work out the, the skull height. It was so stupid. Well, yeah, well, I think in his case, it wasn't even about that. It was just trying to understand. Like, there was, I think there's a lot of legitimate scientific interest not to even prove a point and like it's funny because Felix von Nuschan I don't think he was like of the part you know who would advocate for uh, yeah a difference in races really but like most of the collections he did were based on the assumption that many of these people that he looked at including and this is why for example he bought these Benin bronzes um, would just disappear as a part of colonialism and, uh. and European expansionism, right? So you, and and for me, that's just. I mean, you might also just advocate for stopping that, and then you don't need to frenetically pick up everything in order to look at it later. So he was but, like, these people are going to be historically wiped out. Rather than stopping the historical eradication, what I will do is take all the stuff. Yeah. Wasn't this supposed to be the good news bit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah please give thing. me some good news. Good <laughs> no, <they're> lord. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where, where's the good news the bit? The good news bit, I think, is that because Germany is giving back these bronzes now, or at least parts of them, so the deal is they're not giving back all of them, right? So they're keeping the Nigerian government is, is now allowed to decide <laughs> which 
<laughs> objects are staying in museums here in Germany as sort of uh, residencies, right? And I think that's actually kind of a cool thing because it means that they're going to be working closer together with Nigerian authorities on how, what the history of these objects is and, and you know, what kind of exhibitions you, you, ta uh, you, you curate around those. And considering that the West has all this stolen art, Right. I, I think that's a good step in a direction where you start to maybe even come to cultural item exchanges where you can acknowledge that, okay, this is to some extent just, you know, global human heritage and should all work together, give things back, share revenue. That's the other thing, right? Because all of this in essence, I mean, it's often about uh, collective identity, but let's face it, like in many cases, when you look at the stuff that's, for example, in London in the British Museum, it just generates uh, millions and millions amount of re revenue that's not going to the countries where the stuff's actually being taken from. So I think finding ways to collaborate around these objects that that is creates advantages for everybody would be a more sensitive thing to do. And, and they need to give back all the stuff that's in their basements. I know in 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 in, in London, England, the the amount of uh, you were talking about cut off heads, like petrified heads, in the basements of all these museums. A lot of them are like tribal leaders from Australia and New Zealand. And because, um, of course, once the, the, the men in red uh, overcome the uh, indigenous people, they would kill the leader and then chop off the head to take it home to show, show everybody. And then it would just end up in the basement. And apparently a couple of them have started returning back to their home now. But it's, there's a whole, it's like, yeah, a lot of shit swept under the rug. <laughs> or into the basement, so to speak. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, also in, in Germany, the big case was the Dessau, Dessau Karl May Museum case, oh. which is the closest I've ever come to having a scoop. I know I nearly had a scoop. <laughs> Hang on. What? <laughs> oh, God. It was my Watergate moment. <laughs> so a friend of mine, his in-laws lived in Dessau and he was visiting them and they, they mentioned, uh, uh, the, the, do you know who Karl May is? This uh, German author who was really oh, into Oh, God, into this Westerns. is the Native American... Yeah, he wrote yeah. a lot of Westerns. <laughs> and he never went there. But he's kind of... He never went like there. me in the Humboldt Forum. I can start... We were talking about last week or something. Well, no, anyway. Was, so so there's a, there a museum for him. And in this museum, there was a collection of Native American artifacts in Dessau, which, which a fan of his... So he had, a, he had this, this crazy fan who was a, a, a circus performer who traveled around uh, America in the 19th century and collected stuff. He collected things, and he was a big Karl May fan. And he sold it, um, he gave it all to Karl May, and it was eventually uh, ended up in this museum. And then my friend's in-laws mentioned in passing, and he said, this guy's American, and he mentioned in passing that, oh yeah, they've got, they've got scalps in this museum. They've got actual scalps. And my friend said, but he's, as, as an American, he was like more sensitive to this issue. And he was like, that is totally wrong. This would never happen in America. In America, like you can't just display scalps, you know, you have to give them, you have to find which tribe they belong to. You give them back, you know, there's like, a, they're, they're sacred objects, you know, and they're, and they're human remains more than anything. Yeah. And, and he caused a big thing. And because he was my friend, I wrote about it. And then that was the closest thing that I've ever had to a scoop. But it was a scoop. But it was a bit of a scoop because uh, the, the Bild Zeitung picked it up and the Bild Zeitung, because oh. Karl May, was, his has this big German um, 
uh, uh, following, especially, I mean, like older Germans are really into Karl May, the old movies, the Vinatou movies. And so they got one of the actors from the old 60s, 70s Karl May movies to say, Dessau should give these scalps back and all this other stuff. Well, not only that, they had a proper reunion, no? They invited yeah, they some invited, of the chiefs so. and they had this massive... Yeah. Also, it's not Dessau, it's Radebeul. Close to Dresden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, okay. no. No, it? it's okay. I thought it was Dessau. No, it's Radebeul. Okay. Near Dresden. But it's in the east. But it's, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a small town in the east. It's got a D in it. Yes. <laughs> Have, anyway. you been to, have you been to the museum though? No. It's really weird. Yeah. I went as a child because my mom's obviously, you know, she's into Karl May stuff, right? right? Yeah. It's such an odd thing. Is like, well, anyway. Yeah. There's uh, a great tartot on it. So, yeah, so what they ended up happening is the museum had to like re examine what it had in their collection and they invited Native American people to come and, and they, they did like a like a prayer they did like a they did they did sort of yeah i don't know prayers around these yeah. things and um, i just remember this huge circle of people discussing and like mm. uh, and, and i think they gave back some of them but not all of them because that's always the argument of german museums or like any museum like, like as long as we can't determine where we actually stole yeah. it from we can't return it to their yeah. rightful owners so they like, couldn't establish <laughs> which tribe these scalps belong to so they said we can't give it back because we don't know who to give it back to mm. so the yeah. kind of argument <laughs> uh, thanks for all that good news, guys. Yeah. Is that all the news? Have you finished? I hope so. <laughs> Have you got any news, Megan? Terrible news aside, this has been really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what time is it? Yeah, we were Basti's had a chicken incident. Yeah, you couldn't come. Sorry about that. If you if you came here, especially for Sebastian, you're disappointed, as am I. I even have music <laughs> ready for him. Sebastian, <laughs> he's the man in the world. That wasn't really in tune, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, thanks very much. I mean, I'll probably what I'll do is I'll edit this recording a little bit and then listen to it again and it might sound like tighter. <laughs> yes. I've got this weird thing where obviously like I'm not aware because it's just you and me talking and now this has been like, oh God, oh, oh, like I felt a bit like awkward. But then the problem is I then listen back to the stuff you've edited. I'm like, oh no, I was fine. <laughs> Forgetting the fact that you've edited out all the shit. <laughs> All the fact that I can't remember anything. Or... Anyway, enjoy the rest of the pod festival. If you are going to watch some other stuff, um, there, there are other podcasts that with um, which are probably a bit more professional than ours. <laughs> no. uh, is... I feel like the way they invited us here because you know people could come and they could be like, "See, anyone can do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if these guys can do one, yeah. <laughs> if there's any more magazines in the cool bag, feel free to have one." Can you say yeah. a huge Thanks, Eden. <laughs> and thanks very much. Yeah, good. Very good. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> and thanks, our audience.
know where to turn on this monster. <laughs> 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 yeah. Where, where's that young boy gone? We had a boy, he was helping us. <laughs> he was. We had yeah. two of them. <laughs> we <laughs> did, and now they've gone. Yeah, oh god, well now I'm drunk again. <laughs> oh, okay. Alright, well good. Thank you very much guys. Thank you. I had a very absorbent.